Before we begin, we have a favor to ask. If you like this podcast, please help us spread the word about the show. Go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Another way is to tell a fellow art teacher. Either way, it helps others find the show. The Blocks, Paper, Scissors podcast has a lot of information regarding teaching art, not just for tab teachers, but for anyone who is looking to further their understanding of children in a choice-based classroom. This show is about finding new ways to engage children and help them find their voice through visual arts. All right, let's get this show on the road, shall we? Or or not, we can just sit here and... <laughs> you just worked 300 children through your art room today. you got to be a little bit gassed. Yeah, 300 children, what the heck. It's nothing, right? All in a day's work. It's all in a day's work, right. So uh, last time we were uh, having a conversation... We were talking about, uh, I think it was things that new tab teachers do that they probably should give up or do or not do. And I know we got through three. And and when we say give up, we say, you know, don't stress over it. Right, right. And because the biggest change that a new tab teacher goes through is a personal change. Yeah, because you are the embodiment. You have to be... You have to assume the identity of an artist. Uh, you, I mean, you have to juggle all kinds of roles. Uh, obviously, you're in a you're in a classroom with a multitude of children with all kinds of personalities and cognitive capacities and various physiological conditions and emotional dispositions. So that that right there tells me, you know, I one thing I don't want to do is model behavior in which I antagonize somebody or get too pushy. Um, although some teachers, <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, that's just my own feeling. I, I I'm gonna I'm what I'm offering up in my situation is uh, an invitation to be creative. It's it's funny when you talk about that because I just had an incident today. Oh, do tell. With a student who her mom works here at the school, and I was talking to her today. She had done something, and they were kind of, she had kind of ganged up against another student, and I was talking to all three of the students who were doing this at, at the time, and after I got done talking to them, I they didn't get in trouble. I was uh-huh. just explaining to them that as students as young people we need to be tolerant of other people's ideas right and i look back over there and she's like in tears oh no and called her up and i was talking to her trying to comfort her and explain that she wasn't in trouble uh-huh. and that it's just part of growing up she's uh-huh. 10 years old later i was talking to her mother and her mother goes, oh she's scared to death of you <gasps> i'm like are you kidding she goes, no. She goes, apparently, she got in trouble in second grade, and ever since then, she has been scared to death. Whatever I did, she internalized, and ever since then has been scared to death. Oh, so, my. You know, just something like that is 
now it's affecting this student Uh-oh. Four, two years later. It's, uh, yeah, we're human beings. Yeah. Our teachers are human beings. We're expected to be super, super beings. You know, I, I think the demands placed on all K-12 teachers are, are quite um, uh, unreasonable at times, particularly when you think about uh, the lives of children uh, that uh, are, you know, most of their time is spent outside of school. The, and those things we can't control. And, uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention one thing, uh, the, the uh, condition of their families and of their parents. And you think about this statistic from the uh, United States Center of uh, Disease Control. Um, in the United States, nearly 47% of marriages in the United States end up in divorce and uh, that's uh, those events affect children uh, traumatically and so the expectation that a teacher is going to somehow um, uh, impress or imprint or develop IQ on a on you know raise a child's intellectual capacity when they're going through trauma I th and there are no there's no uh, Clark I've not uh, I've not seen any programs special programs in k-12 ed uh, from Indiana Department of Education to uh, uh, ameliorate or to address that situation uh, nothing I've not I've not heard anything the impact of divorce on children is incredibly uh, immense from a psycho-emotional standpoint and um, and and the pressure that society and these politicians who's uh, criticizing teachers give me give me about five minutes with them <laughs> so I can straighten them out and and talk to them about the shortcomings of their policies which don't address uh, the whole child. When you think about the, you know, the demands of testing, testing mandates, and here I am getting off of my soapbox, and we're supposed to be talking about art class, but uh, and the importance of art class, right? And he, here I, you know, I'm I'm talking about this, but just that 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 fact alone, we haven't even talked about children as uh, as human beings and the the effects of. Uh, you know, things like uh, poverty and uh, food insecurity. and But just that one fact alone with parental, with, you know, parents and divorce, how that can affect a child. Mm -hmm. It is incredibly painful for a child. And they, they wear the emotional scars of their parents' divorce for years and years and years. And it affects the child uh, for a long time. And, and uh, you know, we, we don't really hear much uh, uh, from uh, policymakers about, about that. You know, they may, you know, there's this, there's a new movement, I think, to address social-emotional needs um, in children. And they're trying to do it through computer-based education. I'm thinking, mm, no, I think if you lower class sizes, you have more uh, child child-centered 
uh, more uh, more opportunities for uh, multi-sensory learning, um, children to have collaboration experiences, more experiences for children to experience the humanities uh, in school. I think that would be beneficial to them, uh, for particularly children who are experiencing trauma uh, from uh, family uh, dysfunction or family structure or family difficulties like divorce. Right. And we see that in our classroom as acting out. Yes. And one of the things to bring it back on track that we were going to discuss is how do we handle things like when kids don't clean up their centers or when they do something wrong a lot of people will close a center or some other way um, penalize a student for behavior Mm -hmm. Uh, but not only does when you close a center does that penalize a student but it also penalizes all the other students yeah so johnny may have gotten in trouble and, and is having a really bad day and doesn't want to clean up, doesn't want to put his things away. We need to be mindful of why those students are behaving in that way and not think of, well, I'm just going to close the center because what happens, it's easy to do that. It's easy to say, we're just going to close the center. That's not being helpful to the student. That's just making things easier for the teacher which to me is not in the teaching for artistic behavior type pedagogy. Right. We promote working through mistakes. And if a kid screws up, now's the time to teach that student that, you know, you're going to support them no matter what. Yeah. We need to ask the question, why, why is the student behaving this way? Why is it... You know, is this a pattern with the student? I've had kids who are notoriously don't want to clean up. That's just the way they are. Yeah. So you might have to give them 10 minutes head up, heads up, as opposed to expecting them to conform with everyone else who can clean up in 5, 10 minutes. Sometimes a teacher inter- uh, intervention, direct interaction with the child that you know is notorious for not cleaning up mm-hmm. you just get over to their workspace and say all right let's go ahead and start and you know model cleanup behavior for the child and sometimes it just takes repeated uh, right. interventions like that. one of the things that's really important and if you're going to run a tab classroom is setting up routines yeah and you know we all have especially in the elementary classroom you're you're trying to set routines that the kids can follow and can do independently. Uh I expect them to come in. They don't have to be silent, but I have assigned seats. It's alphabetical. Uh I just have them come in. They know where their seats are, and they can get to their seat so we can get started quickly. Uh And then once they're seated, I start my five-minute lesson. They know that it's always going to be 
five to seven minutes at the beginning of class is my time. Uh-huh. Uh, and then once that goes, then they're free to go about and move around the classroom. Uh-huh. That's hard for some kids because they like their assigned seat. And that's yeah. fine. They will stay in that seat forever. Uh-huh. Uh, even year after year after year after year, they <laughs> go to that assigned seat. Uh, but, <clears throat> you know, setting up those clear, easy-to-follow routines in every center. Uh-huh. Uh, you think about your classroom is a routine in itself and how it's organized. Uh-huh. And as students work in their studio. The teacher should be observing those students and how they work. Uh-huh. Where are routines that can be simplified, routines that need to be modified? If there's too many people in a certain area, then you need to think about separating materials so that it's not a huge bottleneck. Moving different centers, more popular centers, away from each other so they're on opposite sides of the room. So even if you have... 30 kids in your classroom, you've got 15 kids on one side, 15 kids on the other, if that's how it's going to work. So I'm always, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years, and I've, I'm still modifying routines. Uh-huh. It takes time. And once the kids get it, then they, you don't have to worry about that as a, as a system uh-huh. because it just happens. They, they, uh, they have developed an awareness themselves of what their roles and expectations are in Mr. Freilich's art room, and they are uh, able to be their own agents and operate independently after after they know that Mr. Freilich is done with his lesson. And over time, they, I can imagine, you know, and, and particularly with little, kid, little kids, you know, as they mature intellectually, they start to understand it's interesting to see kids year after year where I see a, an issue that needs to be fixed. I will hesitate to move that during the year. Anything, any large change can cause a lot of ripple effects down the road. Yeah. And, and knowing the lay of the room is important if you're an artist working in your studio, which, which we're giving children opportunity to, to, to become their own artists and express their own ideas so that when they need materials to realize their ideas or to assist them in uh, you know whatever it is they're constructing or building or creating you know those the art room is essential in being you know having uh, being a seamless component of this process and that's kind of like the process of the process of cognition when uh, you are cons- you're involved in developing this idea. Uh, you're in and about the work related to the idea and all the all the the um, the knowledge components involved in that. So this this whole the process of cognition is this process of going about expressing this idea uh, and um, being involved in it. Uh, and and so, uh, so let's say my idea is related to my, uh, my interest in dinosaurs, you know, and I'm making 
um, a picture about a T-Rex battle with a Triceratops. And all of my language, uh, all, the, all the, the literacy that I've been reading about, uh, all, all the, the, the words that I've been doing research with, all of the, uh, the images that are, I've imagined in my mind related to my study of dinosaurs. I'm in the process of conveying my, my ideas related to dinosaurs in the art room now, creating this picture. And having the art room organized by my art teacher to have paints available, to have scissors available, to have all the necessary elements so that my time-sensitive thought can be expressed in Mr. Freilich's art room at this time uh, is so critical to my, uh, my learning experience uh, with, with respect to my ideas about, about uh, art and dinosaurs and and, and my reading, my research. So it all culminates in this, this very important artistic event. My thinking is, you know, this, this tab classroom, you know, having the idea of, of having materials readily available for the child that they know that they can, they can you know, they can in a split second obtain materials because they know they know where everything is right it's it's a working studio and that's how we want them to think it's their space i don't want my kids to think that art only happens in my room i encourage them to make art outside a classroom bring it in right take it home the tab classroom is a different place to be not only is a safe place to try out new things and ideas, but the more comfortable a student is, the more apt they are to create, to take those risks. Absolutely. We're not a product-based pedagogy. It's a process-based, and which kind of takes us to one of our things that new tab teachers need to kind of move away from is that preconceived idea of what a project should look like. You know, if you're teaching a technique and you've taught this technique to kids in your old, in an old style of teaching, um, if you've done projects like this, in this technique, I t try to steer away from making that project in front of the kids. Because I know the kids will want to copy that. If I do a Starry Night picture and I draw, if I duplicate Van Gogh's Starry Night and we're going to use crayon batik, uh -huh. the kids are thinking that that's what I want them to do. I will show them a technique of crayon batik, but it's important that I say, now you show me what you can do with it yeah, and not just copy me. I don't want them to use my ideas. I want to see their ideas. Right. So less of me, more of them. You know, there's there's a, a saying that a good teacher knows how to get the kids excited and then you know, <laughs> get the heck out of the way and let them do it. So we're just showing them the technique and letting them finish their ideas.
and and that's how we how a tab teacher uh, integrates new learning is you know through the large group lesson the whole class lesson at the beginning and then mm -hmm. and then through smaller demos uh, and one on one uh, can introduce more learning uh, depending on the child's needs but yeah e essential things like you know how to use paint from the paint center here you know we'll do a whole group lesson how do how do I access paint how do I mix uh, how do I use uh, white uh, to create tints how do I use black to create shading uh, with you know to darken a value um, though I think those are basic fundamental s skills art skills art skills that are that are really important and essential those can be shared in in large group activities and uh, where do you use a tent how do you use a shade you might make a shade or you might make a tent why would I need a darker color yeah thinking about looking at something and looking at things in real objects in real life and in real space where would I use a darker blue a uh, darker shade of that blue and that when, might that might be something you might discuss in a one-on-one -on -one situation right or yeah. as they get older thinking about young children their work is pretty much symbolic um, at uh, uh, you know thinking about Lowenfeld's stages of uh, creative development um, you know they're in pre-symbolic stage they're doing a lot of scribbles only after they reach adolescence they're trying to attain uh, to draw things more realistically and that's where I I'm really more interested in uh, I'm trying to get away from realism but when I'm teaching I teach both realism and intuitive art making mark making uh, to them and I'm trying to emphasize the importance of expressing the inexpressible through intuitive art making because a lot of kids uh, have uh, lacked the patience to draw realistically, naturalistically. And so even if I share with them observation drawing and the secrets of uh, Albert Durer, the secrets of, um, of uh, the Renaissance artists uh, using grids and optical devices, although we've been using our cell phones for optical devices artistic I think the idea of, of an intuitive of intuitive painting is really interesting because depending on the art program that you go through a lot of that intuitive creativity might be stamped down yeah because of preconceived ideas of an art teacher this is how this is what good art looks like yeah this is how you should be doing it. If it doesn't look like the one that I made, then it's not good. Uh -huh. So that's why it looks like chaos in our rooms. It's it's con controlled, differentiated uh, learning. Exactly. It's and not ev you know not everyone's going to be attracted to that. So I I know that we covered um, this topic uh, in a podcast a while ago. We were talking about the unmotivated student. The kid who appears like he doesn't want to do anything or he doesn't uh -huh. do anything. I think we all have those. And I know a lot of teachers are frustrated with those students because we falsely assume that all kids should be busy. Yeah. But just because their hands are busy doesn't mean their minds aren't thinking. And I think we talked about 
incubation a little bit. Yeah. And how maybe just sitting down and talking with that student and figuring out what's going on. Maybe he's really tired. I've had kids who come in and they're, well, I had a, a student not too long ago whose house burnt down. Oh, my gosh. And Oh, my, that's hor- That's horrifying. And he just, he, you know, he didn't want to, he didn't want to do anything. He was just kind of spent. Yeah. Because he was up all night. He's drained. That's, what a hor- horrifying story. But, I feel for the child. But to to penalize someone for not actually doing something at that moment is not something you want to get in the practice of doing. At least I don't think we should be so callous as to not talk to the student and find out really what's going on. Right. Maybe they don't feel good. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they're thinking of something or incubating. Controlling a child's mind, getting into their thoughts, controlling what, you know, they're controlling their thinking. That's pretty much what happens in school. Uh, The child is outside the decision-making process, central to the activities that they are basically coerced to participate in. But sometimes they're, they're, they're compelled to be in the building. Uh, to be uh, now, having said that, a lot of kids love school. They love it. Uh, most, you know, the last time a a large study was done on uh, engagement was the high school survey of of of, uh, of student engagement, which was done between I think two thousand four and two thousand twelve, something like that. Uh, but they stopped. Stop doing the survey because it revealed that nearly 70% of high school seniors were disengaged through school. And they were talking about their entire experience. A lot of them were sharing statements about their, uh, their experiences throughout their entire uh, K-12 uh, education experience. Uh, and so it's, it's, you know, from a child's perspective, you know, engagement, there's a difference between, I think, in authentic learning, which is, authentic learning, I think, is almost like spiritual. Uh, and, and it should be a spiritual event. You think about learning. Uh, William Pinar, he talks about learning as a spiritual event. And it should be. It should be, you know, a, a moment where you are totally spiritually, emotionally, uh, intellectually connected. Uh, it's, it's a full, total... Uh, total body experience, I think. But what is happening in schools is children are just, you know, uh, because of testing mandates, they are, you know, behavior modification techniques where grades are used to uh, motivate children to participate. Hey, you don't do this, you're going to get enough. You know, the grade is used as a stick. It's used as a stick. If you want kids to do well, you need to make it an internal motivation as opposed to <clears throat> external. But there are some kids who are motivated by grades, but that's how they've been raised yeah. and brought up through the system. Carrots and sticks. The tab classroom can be life-changing for many children in that, in that learning can get back to its, uh, to a more... Uh, natural 
way of being and um, uh, there doesn't have to be a uh, you know I always get nervous around people who use the word rigor a lot um, I, I'm not quite certain I know what what they mean when they use rigor rigor in my mind means that um, the child is indeed <clears throat> uh, of their own uh, uh, consent they are uh, they are participating beyond going beyond the given information now that to me is a rigorous uh, experience uh, when you have to use sticks and carrots to get kids to learn I think that's problematic because um, because then uh, you're in the business of control uh, and uh, and you become an authoritarian and um, and I think learning should be a democratic process and that's why I'm such an advocate of tab tab uh, art programs because there is a huge degree of democratic uh, decision-making going on in a tab classroom but back to the the business of you know observing children like you know you're talking about your student whose house just burned down how what you know what a, a horrible thing to happen to you and I would be traumatized if my home had burned down and 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 especially all the all the problems associated with finding a new home my goodness you're yeah you're staying up late you're, you have uh, you don't have uh, they just had the clothes on their back thank goodness we were able to help them out uh-huh. but for that day he just didn't want to do anything which was totally fine uh-huh. and I wasn't going to penalize him for doing that mm-hmm. You said you had a story you yeah. had to tell. Is this a today, good story? Yes. So today, my last period class, okay, seventh period, you know, the kids have been, it's, the whole school day has been, they're a little bit road, you know, there's a little bit of road rash on them. They're road weary. They're, it's been a long day. So seventh period class, they come in, and I do my large group lesson. I tell them, your portfolios are due, and, um, by the way, we got a big art show coming up, and, and they know I expect them to participate in the art show. Now, I'm not going to penalize. But I told them, I said, look, you're going to disappoint me if you don't participate. I mean, that's we've had, you know, three months of just full-bore art making. And, you know, I expect you to produce, you know, or to refine just one piece to, to exhibit, to show people. Um, you know the cool things that happen in our art program, and and also to provide the school with an aesthetic an, an aesthetic experience. Uh, all the fellow students and faculty and community members who will come to the art show they they love seeing the art, and so uh, so after I do my spiel, you know I talk about those those things and I tell them what's you know we got the centers there open the rooms ready for you you know and so it's let's see what happens let's let the genie out of the bottle so sure enough I, the, the studio's open so everybody's starting to work on their art not everybody there's a couple of pockets a couple of tables where there's not much and nothing going on and then to my chagrin 
you know, because I have high hopes for everybody. Uh, then I observe four young ladies pull out a deck of cards. <laughs> they're old aviator cards. These look like they're from Las Vegas, I don't know. But they start playing cards. I said, oh, that looks interesting. <laughs> they're playing cards. And they're like, is this a new game you invented? Oh, yeah, Mr. God, it's a new game we invented. We're, we created this game. Oh, it looks like hearts they're playing. Some game of hearts. And so they dealt a couple hands. So I, what my intervention was, I didn't, you know, I didn't say, ah, you know, put those things away. I did not do that. So I try to be counterintuitive when, um, you know, my first instinct is to say, put, put the cards away, get some art materials out. And let's my, no, I didn't do that. I tried to be sly about this. So I sat down with some cardboard squares, and some paper smashé. And I started making module relief sculptures <laughs> in front of them. And, I'm, and I started, you know, talking to myself while I'm making these. And, of course, I'm, you know, hard to miss. 200-pound bald man. <laughs> and I'm talking away, you know, making my little sculptures in front of them. And, um, and so after, I think, three hands, they put the cards away. And they each started making art. And so I didn't tell them to put their cards away. They put the cards away on their own. And they each started doing, one was doing tape stenciling, the other was doing paper smashé sculpture, the other was doing a, a geometric painting, uh, the, other one, the other young lady was doing a drawing. And um, so without me having to be give them a direct, a directive, uh, a, a reprimand. They, you know, I modeled artistic behavior in front of them, and that was my intervention, and it worked. It kind of reminds me of a. Uh, <clears throat> I just finished reading um, that new book by Daniel Pink. Uh -huh. It's called Win. There's something else in the title, but I I don't know what the rest of it is. But it really talks about how how people or when people are creative. You think about in a, in a creative classroom, not everyone's going to be creative at the same time. Yeah. And learning the type of person you are, Yeah. you can set that up. So maybe they just weren't ready to start. But at that point, you know, I have to get a cup of coffee in the morning. Yeah. Two cups, six cups, something like that. <laughs> Me too. Other creatives, they'll go for a walk. Uh-huh. They'll sit down and read, or you know, other people will get up first thing, six o'clock, hit the studio and start working, work for four hours, stop, and that's it. And they're done for the day. You know, it just depends on how these people are, and and to expect students to all be able to do the same thing at the same time is illogical. Yeah, it's it's like you can't you can't summon creativity on demand from your from your students. Uh, the expectation is there. You are providing opportunity, inviting them, using inspirational interventions for them. You've got the room set up, you know, for them to access, so they can come in with the mindset and the and the cognitive tools to be creative. So they they themselves exhibit uh, creativity uh, as you know and become creative beings, and so that's 
the that's the important the important aspect of tab is you're developing you know trying to help develop creative beings instead of creative objects and that's the whole point of teaching for artistic behavior that's a great point to end on we are going to finish this conversation in the upcoming podcast hopefully in the near future we will have guests as soon as our special guest feels up to it we have one special guest in mind right now we're trying to pin her down yep we'll get we'll get that all taken care of in the next few podcasts hopefully our listeners will still be around by then <laughs> oh. do we have any listeners listening to us i don't know no we do have some followers from podbean which i i totally appreciate them we do so do you have anything you'd like to tell anyone add anything before we sign off and i looked in your room today it looked like there was a there the children were very active today yeah they're active every day (laughs) first grade all right I don't have anything profound to say. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blocks Paper Scissors podcast. If you have a question or topic you would like Clark and Clyde to discuss, please send it to Clyde at cgaw at newpal.k12.in.us. The Blocks Paper Scissors podcast is available from Podbean and iTunes. Sometimes that shark, he looks right at you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, it doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. Medic. <laughs> uh, the poetic musings of Clyde Gaw. All you need now is a patch over your eye and a pig leg and be ready to go.